2: streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen Furst.
3: And welcome, welcome, welcome. This is our very first show. I am so glad you the audience is here with us. I am so excited. I'm Stephen First. And I'm Lori
4: Hartwell, and I am just excited to be here as well.
3: We are going to have a lot of fun, and we are going to learn and, and talk to some really, really interesting people. But we want you to get to know us first, who we are, who the heck is Stephen First, and who the heck is Lori Hartwell. So Lori's going to tell you a little bit about herself.
4: Well, you know, I was diagnosed with kidney failure at the age of two back in 1968, and since that time, I have uh, undergone uh, 36 surgeries. I'm finally older than my surgeries. I um, was on dialysis for 12 years, and have had three kidney transplants, which the last transplant took place in 1990, and um, things are going well. So I'm three really excited. Three kidney transplants? Three. Can you believe it? Three kidney transplants? I oh mean, some people find Does that it hard to believe. Does it
3: get cheaper as you go along? Or Not exactly. They don't give, like, d-
4: discounts or anything? You get a little bit more uh, proficient in, you know, what to take to the hospital when you get called for a transplant. Oh, my gosh. So tell us a little bit about
3: you, Stephen. Well, you know, if people don't know the name, they may recognize my face, I am. I'm an actor. I and I was in movies such as Animal House, The Dream Team, and TV series as Saint Elsewhere. And I was an alien yep. in Babylon Five.
4: And didn't you play a doctor too? You, I played a, play a doctor on doctor, Saint Elsewhere, so you can actually say I actually played a doctor on TV. So do you, you know, can give it. You advice? know, what's
3: very funny. I auditioned for that commercial, but at the time I was this fat. You know, actor, and they gave it to some soap opera guy who played a doctor in general hospital. But I auditioned for that commercial and I didn't get it. I've had, I'm a diabetic since the age of 17. And the last six or seven years, I knew that my kidney was failing, but I was in total denial until my kidney finally gave out. And I have now, I'm a new dialysis patient. I've been on dialysis for a whole three weeks. Well, how's it going? Is the honeymoon over? The honeymoon is definitely over. I want to leave. I don't want to be stuck anymore. I'm tired of this catheter in my chest. You know, I'm I'm sick of it. I'm sick of them taking my temperature and put me, making me wear a mask. You know, anytime I wear a mask, I have a bag and I want candy. I'm knocking on doors. That's the only, <laughs> only time I want to be wearing Trick or a mask.
4: treat! Absolutely,
3: absolutely.
4: Well, so you're waiting for a transplant?
3: Then. I'm waiting for a transplant. They say five to seven years. Oh my Whoa. goodness! I
4: mean, I Whoa. know it's it's just there's just not enough people who are willing to donate to meet the demand.
3: I know. And speaking of of organ donors and transplants and everything, today we have a really special guest, Lori. This is a friend of mine, a very special guest on Kidney Talk, and we'll be speaking with the best-selling New York Times best-selling author Jodi Picoult about her novel, My Sister's Keeper. She has lots of books, but this is the one we're going to talk about. Yes, I love her books.
4: Well, you know, Stephen, about 65,000 people in the United States are waiting for a kidney transplant, including about 800 children, but only one in five will receive a kidney this year. About half of those kidneys will come from living donors.
3: Half from living donors and the other from cadavers.
4: Actually, the correct term is deceased donors. Oh,
3: we don't call them cadavers.
4: Exactly. Or dead people. Yes, it's deceased donors. Like the kid. I
3: see dead people. I know. I see dead people and I want their kidneys.
4: (laughs) Yep. No, it's uh, actually there was a big debate in the community and deceased donors is the correct term. And, you know, also, just to let everybody know out there, uh, my co host Stephen Verse will be producing a movie based on My Sister Ke- oh, Sister's please, Keeper. Oh, please, please. Please. You're going to be producing it. I, I, am I mean, the producer, do I get a part? Do I get a part? A, a part? On. You
3: can be the kidney. I can be the kidney. <laughs> How's that? No, See, we're producing a movie for New Line Cinema, and it's called My Sister's, Sister's Keeper. Keeper. Well, that's the so same exciting. as the book.
4: It's a wonderful book, and um, I actually. Uh, was intrigued by the whole process and how um, Jody was e- able to bring all these characters to light. So I am so excited about, you know, talking to Jody Bacolt P- 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 here pretty soon.
3: So when we come back, we are going to speak to Jody Bacolt. P- I'm
4: exactly. so excited. I am excited, too.
1: More than 20 million Americans, one in nine adults, have chronic kidney disease, and another 20 million more are at risk, yet most people don't even know it. Anyone can get chronic kidney disease, but some people are more likely than others to develop it. People in high-risk groups include diabetics and those with high blood pressure. Chronic kidney disease usually causes no symptoms until it reaches an advanced stage, but simple tests can be done to detect kidney disease early. Please, visit your doctor to find out if you might be at risk. And if you've been diagnosed with kidney disease, have your family members tested.
0: Wherever we go, whatever we
3: I am so excited here on Katie Talk. Well, I'm always excited. We have a wonderful best selling author and best friend of mine, Jody Picolt. Jody, you are joined here with me and my lovely co host, Lori Hartwell. Hi, Jody. Hi, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Look, Jody. I want to get something straight right off the bat. You know, I have heard so many pronunciations of your name. I mean, I always call you Jody Picolt, and I hear some people call you Jody Pico. I mean, what is the correct pronunciation?
2: It's actually Pico, but, Stephen, you can call me whatever you want. Okay. What, what do the fans <laughs> we'll call, call you? We'll call you best-selling author. How's that? Uh, that will be fine, too. <laughs> yeah. Now,
3: what do fans call you? I mean, do they know it's Pico?
2: They call me Jody.
3: Oh, they just call you Jody.
2: Everyone feels like I'm their best buddy, and they can invite me into their living room and I'm okay with that.
3: You know, I have heard Jodi speak at bookstores and all her fans are so devoted. It's true. It's 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 nothing formal. I mean, you pull up a chair and you, you, you have Jodi read to you and you talk to Jodi and, and, and she makes you feel really wonderful.
2: Oh, that's nice. It's a lot of fun. It's great to get out on the road and to meet the people who are reading your books.
3: Hey Jody, I want to talk about a book that you wrote that is really close to my heart, my sister's keeper, and I want to know when did you actually write this? A couple of years ago. My sister's um, keeper.
5: My, my sister's keeper. Yes,
3: it's fabulous.
2: Yeah, I, you know, that book came out in two thousand and four, um, which means that I probably wrote it a couple of years before that.
3: Yes, yeah. I mean, it is so close to my heart. I, it is such a wonderful book.
2: And what was it? What was your inspiration for the book? I actually came to that book through doing research for a different book. I was writing Second Glance, which is a lot about the Vermont Eugenics Project and a period of time in the 1920s and 30s in America when we were in the business of racial hygiene, which you probably didn't know. And uh, as I was working on, um, on learning more about eugenics, I kept stumbling over a story about a modern-day couple in Colorado that had conceived a child to be a bone marrow donor for their existing older child who had a really rare form of pediatric leukemia. And I thought, you know, it seems really strange that they would call that racial hygiene, too. But it wasn't what the book I was writing, so I sort of stuffed it in a shelf and came back to it a year later when I was done writing Second Glance, and I learned a little bit more about the family. They, um, They are from Colorado. They had this little girl who was expected to die by the time she was two, and she was really hanging on by a thread when she was about four years old. Her mom could not find a bone marrow donor for her, and so decided to conceive a child who would be a bone marrow match. And that little boy was born when uh, she was about five. Um, They took the umbilical cord stem cells, which don't even touch the baby. They're part of the placenta, and usually we throw them away in this country. Other countries use them as a registry, but we don't. And uh, they gave this little girl a a donation of stem cells, and she went into remission. It has since been about five and a half years. If you meet her, like I have, she is a lovely, sunny, funny, great kid. Uh, Her brother, who is five now, does not know anything about this. She knows her brother's blood saved her, but he isn't aware of what happened. And he's a very typical five-year-old who, you know, is climbing the curtains and things like that. (laughs) And the family went on to have a third child because they'd conceived all these embryos, not because they needed more spare parts, but just because they really wanted a bigger family.
3: This is such an incredible story. How much research did you have to do on this subject?
2: You have to do a lot of research. There was a great deal of medical research involved because um, I was going to spin the story out a little bit, and that's actually where the kidneys come in. Um, in my story, uh, actually, I I make that donor child thirteen, not five. Our oldest real-life American donor is that little boy, and he, you know, he is five. But I was thinking, well, what about when they get older? What if they're a teenager and they're wondering, you know, where did I come from? Am I only here because my sister was sick? What if, God forbid, your sister went out of remission or even died? How guilty would you feel? And what if it wasn't just a single donation but multiple donations that were sometimes invasive and painful? And so in my book, Anna Fitzgerald is 13 years old. She uh, has donated lymphocytes, leukocytes, bone marrow, you name it, to her sister. And she's finally asked to donate a kidney. And she puts her foot down and goes to sue her parents for the rights to her own body. So there was a big legal angle involved in the book. I had to learn all about medical emancipation. And then I spent a great deal of time at Memorial Sloan Kettering and up in my neck of the woods in New Hampshire at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center talking both to oncologists as well as to pediatric cancer patients and their families. It's an important issue. I mean, I think especially when we talk about transplants and stem cells, you know, we're often taking a foray into the political. And what people tend to forget is that there are thousands of families every day dealing with these decisions at an emotional level, not a theoretical one. And, you know, it's a lot harder to blame people for the decisions they make when you take it down to that personal level.
3: You know, I know when you donate a kidney or even go on a transplant list, you have to be seen by a psychologist and a social worker, and and your donor also has to do the same thing. They don't want you to have any regrets for the donation.
2: Absolutely. It
5: is the ultimate gift, I mean.
2: Oh, yeah. No question about it. And, you know, what's really interesting in the book, in terms of fiction, is that you get this girl who immediately starts a lawsuit, and you assume it is out of pretty selfish reasons. You know, she right. wants her life back, and she realizes that not giving her sister a kidney will probably end her sister's life. But as the book unfolds, you begin to realize that it's a lot more complicated than that. And um, ultimately, I think that, you know, if Anna had been asked in the long run to donate, she might give a very different answer on the last page than she would at the first.
4: When we come back, more with Jodi Picoult.
2: Wherever we go,
0: whatever we do, we're gonna go.
1: Far, but sure Honey, did you restrict your fluids today? Yes, dear. Did you turn your back on potatoes, bananas, and avocados? I took a quick peek and then looked the other way. Did you eat all your protein? Lovely weather we're having, isn't it? Honey, you know you need your protein because of the dialysis. Having a hard time with the protein? Do you loathe
3: liver? Are you baffled at the massive amounts of beef? Are you terrified of tofu? Then try drinking your protein, and I'm not talking about liver beef tofu smoothies. Protein powder that you can buy at your local store is perfect and delicious way to get that protein when you need it. Just make sure you read the label. Low sodium, low potassium, and low sugar. You know the drill. So next time someone asks...
1: Did you eat all your protein today? You can say. Not only did I eat it, but I loved it. I had a breakfast shake and then I put some in my coffee and then I made some muffins with it and then I...
3: There are protein powders out there that have as much as 24 grams of protein in just one serving. No sugar and low in sodium and potassium. So drink up and be healthy.
0: Wherever we go
5: I, I loved about your book is having an illness since I was two years old is how you brought the characters to life and the family dynamics. Mm, yeah. Um, and, you know, how the different siblings think that, you know, you get too much attention when you're right. sick.
2: You know, and I actually did an, an event last night with a group called Super Sibs. We um, charged an admission fee and they got all this money for their organization. And they are an organization that provides support to the siblings of children with cancer. Wow. And it was a great, great thing, you know, because um, I think that is a forgotten group. I know that uh, one of the reasons the book winds up being written the way it is, in multiple narrative voices, is because of an experience that I had personally. I had a child who had a chronic illness. I have three kids who are 10, 12, and 14, and they're great. Steven's met them. He knows they're great. <laughs> and, um, you know, my middle son, who's 12, when he was six, he was diagnosed with a, a rare tumor called a cholesteatoma in his ear. It's not cancer, but it will burrow towards your brain and kill you that way. And the traditional way to get rid of it involves leaving the child permanently deaf. We actually chose a different approach, one that would require him to have more surgeries overall, but that might preserve some of his hearing. And it was the right choice for us because in the middle of ten surgeries in three years, we learned that Jake had this tumor in both ears, and there are less than ten kids in the nation who have that. And if you met him now, you'd meet a very happy, healthy little hockey goalie who, after a reconstructive surgery, now only doesn't hear me when he doesn't want to. And, um, you know, (laughs) but I can also tell you as a parent that sometimes when a child is ill, we wind up saying things that we wish we hadn't said to our other children. Because when one child takes precedence, everything else falls by the wayside. And we like to say we love all of our children equally. But what we really mean is we know one of them is going to take precedence. And what we hope is that in the long run, it all evens out.
3: Yeah, that that was one of the questions I had. I was going to ask you if you had any experiences in your own family with problems with organ donations. It seems like, you know, the whole family is wrapped around the person who is sick. And everything is about the person who is sick, which can lead to, you know, some psychological problems with other siblings and even your
2: spouse. Yeah, absolutely. It's a burden. It's a huge burden, not just physically, but also emotionally on the entire family. And, you know, they say when a child gets ill, the whole family gets ill. And that's really true.
5: It really consumes it. Yeah. Because, you know, you feel so helpless you can't help the person you love.
2: But by the same token, you know, the donors wind up becoming superheroes to the other family members. I mean, you know, like you said, it is the ultimate gift. And, you know, I'm an organ donor. My husband's an organ donor. You know, it's on our license and, you know, it it really is something that is is a remarkable thing to be able to do and the kids who wind up donating stem cells to their siblings or organs and you don't even have to be a kid, I think wind up with the other family members almost in awe of them.
5: Right. Well, everybody wants to feel like they've made a difference and, I mean, that's the ultimate way of making a difference is Mm -hmm. donating.
2: (laughs) Well, you were instrumental too. (laughs) Um, uh, Stephen actually was the one who got it to uh, New Line Cinema, which has optioned the book, and they're in their second year of the option. I hear that we have a screenplay, which is very good. I hear it even looks something like the book, which is exciting for me. And um, that, uh, you know, at this point, we have actresses that have been interested in the roles, and I am just crossing my fingers and hoping that it it happens soon.
3: Actresses, which, you know, I really can't say anything because, you know, it becomes a legal issue with their agents and the lawyers and everything. And I really I really can't mention any names. But um, Emma Thompson comes to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
5: well, well, can we make sure that everybody who's an actor and actress agrees to be an organ donor before they sign on? That
2: would be pretty cool.
5: huh? (laughs) Is there any plans for it to be on audio? Um, It actually
2: is already on audio. Oh, wow. Okay, Um, because a lot of... Yeah, My Sister's Keeper actually came out in audio and won the equivalent of an Oscar in their category because it's a multiple voice narration, so you get to meet all the different characters just like you do in the book.
5: After writing My Sister's Keeper, did you learn anything that you didn't know about kidney disease or something that was surprising um, that you didn't know before?
2: Yeah, you know, I learned a lot of statistics because I was trying to figure out, you know, how unlikely it would be for Kate, the older sister, to be able to get a donation from someone else. And, and often it's a lot easier, for example, to find a kidney donor that's a match than a heart donor that's a match. Right. And certain organs are harder to, to come by than others. Um, you know, but I don't think I was quite aware of how epidemic it was until I started doing that research.
5: But yes,
3: one out, it is. One out of every nine people have kidney problems.
2: Yeah, yeah. I have an aunt who actually is on dialysis and is awaiting a kidney transplant.
3: Right. I've registered to be on the kidney transplant list at UCLA, the hospital, and in my area the 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 waiting list is five to seven years. I can't believe it's how real. long it is. Yes.
5: Well, this wow. is my I've had three transplants, so wow. um my third one between my second and third was seven years. Wow. Oh, and that um, was the other
2: fact that I learned. And this was just one of those curiosity, really wild facts, that when they transplant a kidney, they don't take out the old one. So it's all just hanging around inside you there. Exactly.
5: (laughs) So yes, uh, often many patients end up with more kidneys than they need. Right, um, multiple kidneys. I know, I know. It's, uh, you know, you never can have too many kidneys, Right. Right. that that is my opinion. Well, it's, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank and
2: you so much for inviting me. Thanks for all the support you're giving to a uh, topic that needs a little more coverage. So I, I think that's great. Wherever we
0: go, whatever we do, we're going to go.
1: Well, now that I have mastered "Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers," how many pickled peppers did Peter Piper pick? Let's see what my next challenge will be. It's in here somewhere. Let's start. Okay. Hmm. Say this three times fast. Fistula first, Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Now, if I only knew what that means. A fistula should be your first choice for your dialysis access. It says here, less infection and less hospitalizations. That's good. Yes. 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 (laughs) lasts longer. Some patients have had their fistula for more than 30 years. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. For more information, please visit fistulafirst.org. Do it now.
4: Amazing lady and author, I, I am just such a big fan of hers, and you know she brings this important issue about organ donation to life. The bottom line is, is that um, there's just not a deceased donors to meet the demand. So I applaud her for bringing this serious issue
3: to the forefront. Right, and you know it's 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 amazing. You know there's relatives and non-relatives, and it's really, it's really an intricate situation because you know. Um, People who are going to donate uh, kidneys and organs, they have to go through a psychological uh, test and everything, too. I, exactly. I would probably fail that, but uh, that's
4: <laughs> Well, right. maybe, but um, it's really important that, you know, uh, the public be aware that giving the gift of life is the ultimate gift. And it's it's so important to, you know, think about it, discuss the issue with your family, and, um, you know, decide whether you want to be an organ donor. Um, there's so many creative ways now that they're actually giving kidneys. I mean, in the past, they would only take kidneys kidneys. kidneys from a living related donor but now you can get a kidney from your neighbor.
3: Right, a neighbor, and I've heard people, you know, in their church group, they announce it, and somebody gets donated a kidney, and, you know, there's this new tricky thing they do, which is, um, it's called the three-way donation. Exactly. It's like, you know, I'll give you, your, your husband a kidney if, you know, you give my sister a kidney.
4: People are getting very creative because the bottom line is transplantation does work. I mean, I'm a living example of it. And, you know, more people are opting to get a transplant, and they're living great lives and hey there's a demand out there
3: well, one thing I don't recommend is knocking door to door <laughs>
4: You know. <laughs> well actually my friend Myra I asked her one time well, how did you get your kidney and she said it knocked on my front door and I said what do you mean and she said well uh, uh, my mother was telling people in my neighborhood that I needed a kidney and one of the neighbors knocked on my front door and said I'll give you one of mine and um, he was a match so wow. you know there are certain ways that you wow. know kidneys come to you it's pretty and fascinating. I know, I know that
3: George Lopez you know he's not he, his wife matched him perfectly
4: exactly he now has a female kidney just for the record I have a male kidney.
3: You have a male kidney? I have a male
4: kidney. So I... Is that why you
3: have all that hair in your chest?
4: Uh, it is. <laughs> oh.
3: We won't it mention exactly. that. Thank God this is exactly. radio. Exactly.
4: I know. And I, you know, I leave the toilet seat up now oh. too, but, it, but that's just a little secret.
3: I also heard, you know, that, you know, people are going to foreign countries and buying uh, you know, parts, you know, uh, organs and everything. But I heard like in one country, I don't know which one it was, where they bought a part and it, it didn't, you know, work and everything. And they found out later it was the uh, a, a dog kidney.
4: Well, there's a lot of, of of weird things that are going on. The United States have very, has very strict policies as well as other countries. But when you go to third world countries, you don't exactly know what you're going to get. And it's really hard to check to see what kind of kidney you get when it's implanted in you. So, you know, um, I always tell patients to be very cautious when somebody's trying to tell you that something may be too good to be true. It probably
3: is. Right. I mean, you don't want a dog kidney. I mean, I know, I, I mean, because <laughs> then you start sniffing people's behinds I know. and then, and it's then very you start embarrassing. lifting your
4: leg on the, on the tree. It's, it's, it's I know, I know, I know. It's I know. just it's horrible. Just- but you know, it's um, I can understand the need because I waited seven years for my third transplant, and uh, I know what um, people are going through. So I never want to underestimate what people will do.
3: Yeah, to and try like we're saying, Jody really captured this whole family dynamics exactly. about this. And you know, we we really want to thank Jody Picoult and the author of My Sister's Keepers. Keep- and if you if you want to buy it. You know, it's a best-selling book, and it's going to be a huge hit movie. Exactly. Produced Even by also, Stephen First. And
4: also, you can go to the library for those of you who may not be able to afford the book. Um, it is at the library. I um, checked, and it's all of her books are there. She's got dozen. She's got a dozen books. It's amazing. I don't know how she
3: is I think able she writes to write one a year. One, one a, a year. year. She's amazing. It's amazing. Just, it's amazing. I, I can't even write out my grocery list. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our show for today. And on our next show, we're going to go, oh, we're going to get like desperate housewives. We're going to do dating <laughs> and romance while being a kidney patient.
4: Exactly. It's such a difficult topic, but I think that um, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And,
3: and we're going to have in-studio guests this exactly. time. A yes. youngster, a young girl in her 20s.
5: You do learn very fast who your friends are um, and, you know, who's going to stick by you and who's going to love you for you and everything that comes with it, the whole package. She is very cute.
3: Very cute. Very cute. So. Okay. Till next time, everybody. Take care of yourselves.
4: Thanks a lot, everyone. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible.
3: Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen.
4: Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Estellus.
3: Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care, North America.
4: Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community.
3: Visit rsnhope.org for more information